Scripture reading this morning is back to our study in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. 1 John chapter 5. One through twenty-one. You don't have a Bible of your own. Our ushers do have Bibles available. They'll bring one to you if you need one. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. First John chapter five. going to read through the entire chapter this morning. We'll take the first half of this, and then this evening we'll complete the second half of of this chapter to uh, complete our study in 1 John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. May God give us understanding and portion that we read and speak through throughout this day. Let's bow in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here on this day, thanking you, Lord, for giving us life, thanking you, Lord, for giving us eternal life through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to worship together, to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus and glorify him in our singing, in our reading of Scripture, our praise time, in our preaching and hearing of your word that we might be challenged to live according to your truth the walk in the, given that, that our lives will be a living testimony of you, Father, and of your work in us. We pray that you would continue to work in those who are sick. We think of Sister Brenda Adams, uh, Sister Minnie Kathy, Sister Lola Spears, uh, my wife Donna, for these, Lord, that's experiencing different challenges and 
and illnesses. We also pray for Mac Holden and uh, his continued care. We pray for my father and, and his condition, Lord, that you would watch over these, Lord, who um, especially just have uh, challenges. And we look to, to you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage their hearts to look to you in faith <clears throat> for your uh, healing and for your care of them. Lord, we thank you for our mothers last year who gave birth, and uh, um, we thank you for the healthy uh, boys that they have. We pray um, a as well, Lord, for, um, for the birth coming up this year, Lord. We uh, pray, Lord, that you would just allow um, that child to continue um, to develop and to uh, have a safe birth, Lord, and for uh, your blessing in, in the lives of the kind family, Lord, that you would bring number three into this world with your blessing and, and with, uh, with your, your grace. We thank you for that. We pray for this year, Lord. We don't know what's coming up, and we pray, Lord, that we would look to you, worshiping you, honoring you in all that we do. Open our hearts to your word this morning so that as you speak, we say yes to you and walk in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And please be seated. In a bit over a month since we had our study uh, in First John, so hope you didn't forget we had it, and we're going to finish it, complete it today in chapter five. So First John chapter five. If you remember the gist of First John, First John is writing, and his purpose is to um, strengthen true believers in their faith and build their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, and take away the confidence of those who think that they are secure in Christ and shouldn't think that because their lives don't back up uh, a real faith in Jesus Christ. And so he shows a couple tests, three tests that he gives to show how you can tell if you yourself are, have been born again and how you can um, help others apply that same test toward themselves to see if they are truly children of God. A test of love is one, the test of obedience, and the, the test of faith. So those three tests he goes through in different rounds in 1 John. In chapter 5, he kind of combines them all together. And let's take a look at uh, chapter 5 now. First of all, I'm going to start with four statements that he makes in the first five verses. Uh, four I'll call them truth statements, four truth statements. Now, you might want to write them down because we're going to look at the statement and then we're going to look at the um, kind of the reciprocal of that statement uh, that is also true and to examine that you might want to write them down. So I'll, I'll read them as we get to them one at a time so that you can register them that way. The first statement is this. Let's read verse 1 first and and look at verse 1, then we'll make that statement. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the first statement is this. Those who believe have been born again. Those who believe have been born again. That term born again is used repeatedly um, in this letter from John, and it's used to call our attention to what happens when God does a work in the heart of an individual and saves them. He says they are born again. Another term for that is the new birth. New birth is not the physical birth, it is the spiritual birth. So the reciprocal to that statement, the first statement is those who believe have been born again. The reciprocal of that is those who are born again believe. What happens when God does a work in our heart? He brings us to believe. Those who are born again, who've been given life, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first statement is this, those who believe 
have been born again. Look at the reading from Scripture. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He's saying this, that you can't come to that belief on your own. You didn't and nobody else did on their own. You come to that statement, you come to that truth as a work of God in your heart. In other words, this, it's not just some fact that you latch on to. We can say we believe a lot of things. And it's not just a work of our mind to say I believe something. Most people think of it this way. I believe Jesus exists and was a real person. That means nothing. James makes the point, devil believes that too. But you won't see him in heaven. He won't live eternally under God's grace. He's been judged and condemned already. He knows truth. He can assent to, to, to those statements. So this says there's a work of God that goes on that brings you to believe. And you know that you believe when you see the evidence of that work. We'll get to that in other statements. But he says in this simple statement this. Those who believe have been born again. Reciprocal. Those who are born again believe. They believe what? They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Another way of saying what they believe. They believe everything God says. They don't strike out anything that God says. They don't rewrite their Bibles. They don't tear out pages. They don't cut and paste. They take everything that God says because they have been born of God and they accept the truth of what God says. Examine yourself. Does that describe you? If you want to say I'm a pick and choose person, then you're not believing in God. Second statement is also in verse 1. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So the statement is this. Those who love God love his children. A simple statement. John works with simple statements. That's probably why I like him. I'm a straightforward, simple person. The statement is this. Those who love God Love his children. Those who love God love his children. Very simple, clear truth. It, it, it states, it implies this, that if you don't love his children, you don't show an active, real love for his children, you don't really love God. John makes that statement all through his letter. He says, how can you say you love God who you haven't seen when you don't love your brother who you see every day? He says that's inconsistent. For those who love God love his children. I'd like you to make some personal application there. You know, I, I enjoy, I don't get to go every year, but I enjoy when our family has a family reunion. I love to get together with my, with my blood brothers and sister. And you can tell because we start talking goofy. We start, we, we start using, we telling stories that nobody else knows but us. And it gets boring for anybody else who's around. It's just us laughing and everybody wondering what we laughing at. You probably have that too. It's that family situation. And God is saying this, do you love the gathering of God's family? Or do you rather stay out, find something else to do, excuse why you don't have to be there? What about God's family who meets regularly on Sunday? Do you love the meeting of God's people? Is that something you look forward to? Is that something you enjoy? Is that something that you participate in regularly? Statement number three is in verse two. Verse 2, I'll read, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So the statement is this, Those who love his children love and obey him. Those who love his children love and obey him. Him being God. I'm going to state the reciprocal, but I'm going to restate it in a longer way. 
But let me read the first statement again, or the, let me read that clear statement. Those who love his children love and obey him. Restated is this. Love and obedience are the evidence of love for God's people. Love and obedience towards God are the evidence and love, are the evidence of love for God's people. Throughout this letter, he connects love and obedience. And he's, he's simply saying this. You can't just say something and call it love. You can't just say that you love without action that, that back up what you say. He's not much on saying stuff. I like John for that. James is the same way. He doesn't like when people talk all the time. John is like that. People say this, but they show this. And so John, John just kind of points that out. You say that you have fellowship, but you walk in darkness. Then you lie, you don't do the truth. So he's saying love is, and obedience is the action that goes behind real love for God's people. So don't say that I fit in and I love God's people if I don't, in fact, love God, obey God, and show that in my action. When you wake up in the morning, when you begin to do things, the things that you do then point out that love that you say that you have. John is saying, don't tell me you love me without showing it. Don't tell me or don't say this without demonstrating it in a very clear and regular, consistent way. So he challenges us to that. We need that challenge. It's an important challenge. Let's go to the fourth statement that's found in verses 3 through 5. So let me read verses 3 through 5 first. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Simple statement is this. Those who obey God are victorious or have victory. Those who obey God have victory. And I can say specifically have victory over sin. Those who obey God have victory over sin. Verses 3 through 5 put out some of the points there. <clears throat> Again, he always connects love and obedience. And now he connects obedience with a victorious life. A life, uh, he's saying, those who know God, those who have been born again, exhibit these kind of traits. They walk in ways that are pleasing to God, and they have victory over sin in their life. Now, this is not like one final and once-for-all victory. This is continuous victory in your life. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern for your life. It doesn't mean that we never sin. What it means is that we are growing in our walk with the Lord so that we don't keep stumbling over sin and that we're gaining victory as we go along. Verse 4, well, the end of verse 3, first of all, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So he, he makes a, a point there. He says to obey God is not some huge burden that God has placed on us that we can't do. He's saying it's something that fits in with our, our walk with him. We can do it. We see others around us who do it. We can do it. We can walk with the Lord. We can walk in pleasing. We can walk in obedience to him. It's not a sinlessness. 
No one is sinless except Christ himself. But we can have victory in our everyday walk, and we should be having that victory. Let me say it this way. You should be walking in more obedience now than you did last year. And you can state that a number of ways. You can look at a number of things to look at that. But but John gives you a few things to look at. He looks at your love. He looks at your obedience. He looks at your dependence, your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you walking more in ways this year or right now? Are you striving to do that more than you even did last year? Are you trying to make Christ the center of your life so that if you strive to obey him and please him in what you do, are you doing that more now this year than last year, this month than last month, this week than last week, this day than yesterday. That's the striving that we ought to do. Now, in reality, if you would graph our walk, you would see that we got some ups and downs. It's a little, you know, oscillating there. But it should be trending upward. And it should continue trending upward. You know, it may seem like it's flattening out a little bit, but it should be trending upward. <laughs> and those times when it's flattened out, God is sending somebody to you to rebuke you, to encourage you, to motivate you, so that you go back trending upward. That's what he wants to see. That's what he expects to see in his children. Remember being young, and uh, you know, like, you know, you, you know how you would stand next to the doorpost and measure your height? When you were five years old, you were this tall, and you were this tall, and each year you measure that. And, you know, obviously, I didn't grow real fast, but I was looking to grow. And you know what? No matter how short I am finally, each year there was some increase. It may not have been like somebody else, but it was some increase each year. And so it should be in our walk with the Lord. You may be looking at somebody next to you, around you, and saying, how come I'm not increasing like him or her? That's not the point. You should be growing. You should be developing. You should be looking for those areas that you can grow in. Um, Second Peter talks about several areas that we should be looking at and establishing. Chapter 1 talks about that. We won't look at that today. Perhaps we can use that for discussion tonight if you'd like. Then he says in verse 4, everyone that has been born of God overcomes the world. What is the world that he's talking about? It's this world system that has its pull on us to try to distract us from the life that we are called to live in honoring Christ. The world wants to say, you don't have to do that so much. Take care of yourself. Please yourself. Do what you like to do. Christ and the Holy Spirit encourages us, no, walk in ways that are pleasing to God. So we overcome the world. The world does not win. It doesn't have victory over us. How do we overcome? It says our faith. It is our faith. It is us looking. It it is the fact that we've been born again by a true work of God and that Jesus has had an impact on us. The Holy Spirit is living in us and so that we have a desire to please God. We walk continuously in that desire. So those are four statements. Let me read them again. The first statement was this. Those who believe have been born again. Second one is this. Those who love God love his children. The third one is this. Those who love his children love and obey him. And the fourth is those who obey God are victorious over sin. Verses 6 through 12, he kind of changes the subject, and he talks about God's testimony. God's testimony. And we speak of testimony, we're thinking about almost like a legal term, that someone has been called, subpoenaed into court, and asked to speak concerning what they've seen, and to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
That's the testimony in court. Since God gives a court, God gives a testimony. Now, he doesn't have to put his hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's all he can and does do. He is truth. So his testimony should impact us. God's testimony. Now, in this passage, the writer John says there are three things that display God's testimony. He says they're this. They're water, the blood, and the spirit. I ask, well, what does that mean, and how is that the testimony of God? First of all, let's start reading at verse 6, and I'll stop somewhere before verse 12, but just listen. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Let me just pause there. Okay, so God has given a testimony concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, he's pre presenting evidence in the court, so to speak, so that we might understand the truth about this Jesus. Now, first I want to speak about this biblical principle of proof. What's needed to establish something that's true? It's kind of like you're walking in a courtroom and there is a, a charge against a person and he's saying, what do you need to establish the, the, the validity or the truth of this charge. We have these principles in our same courtroom, and they come actually from the Bible. Let's take a look at the biblical um, principle of proof. You can probably remember it when you see it in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 15 and 16. Yes. Matthew 18, I'm going to read that, verse 15 and 16. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's the biblical principle of proof, that every charge be established by the testimony of two or three Witnesses, you say, well, where does that come from? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Let's turn there. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Deuteronomy 19, 15 says this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. There it is. There's a principle, the biblical principle of proof. It says don't establish anything based on just one witness. We understand that. What we call it, he said, she said. That's what we call it in the court. That that's just one person saying what they think or saying what they saw. Let's get somebody else that back it up. Otherwise, you just get one against one. Let's bring somebody else to back up what it is that they say or the charge that they make. So there's the biblical proof is that you need at least two, preferably three, witnesses to establish a truth. This is again stated, we won't turn there, but you can look there in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, where they restate that again. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. And so the writer, John, is going to establish the truth of who Jesus is by three witnesses. And in fact, it is God's testimony that is given. Now, Jesus did the same thing in John chapter 5. So turn with me to John chapter 5, uh, verse 31. John 5, 31. This is the gospel of John now. Jesus is speaking here. If you have it, or at least you're still turning to it, just say amen. Some of you are. John chapter 5, verse 31, it says this. 
if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, he's not saying his testimony isn't true and he's telling a lie. He says it doesn't have, it's not valid because by itself it's not established by others who can verify it. So he's basically saying, don't just take what I say. Look at the evidence that bears witness that what I say is true. That's what he's saying. Read it again. <clears throat> if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So Jesus is going to give a couple other witnesses. The first witness he's going to give is a fallible witness. That's a human witness, and that's the person of John. John. He's speaking of John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist bore witness about me. Then he's going to give us three infallible witnesses that we'll see. The first witness is John. Verse 33, he says, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So he gives the testimony of John. He's a fallible witness, a human witness. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Now he's going to give three infallible witnesses. The first one is his works, the things that he did. Verse 36 the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He says, the very works that I do. In fact, John wrote the whole gospel. He says, these things were written in fact, look at John 20, 31. He talks about all the things that Jesus did, many uh, miracles and, and, and things that he did. He says, but I'm, I'm writing these so that you might know. Where's that? John 20, 31. Keep your finger in John 5. We'll come back to that. But I just want to, the pages are sticking. John 20, 31. Now, Jesus, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written to you. <clears throat> these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying, I'm going to write about the things that Jesus did so that you would understand the witness that's given about him and that you might believe. So it's the very works Going back to John chapter 5, the very works that Jesus did bear witness about him. The second infallible witness that Jesus has is the Father himself. Verse 37, John chapter 5. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who whom he has sent. <laughs> Jesus says, God himself is my witness and bears witness about me. He's given his witness concerning me. When Jesus started his ministry at his own baptism, God's voice came down from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God himself bore witness to Jesus. So he says, my works bore witness, the Father bears witness, and then the third witness is in verse 39. It's an infallible witness. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he says, it's my works, it's the Father, and it's the scriptures that bear witness about me that I am who I say that I am. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. I am the Christ, the one who came to conquer sin and save his people. So these three Jesus states 
are his witnesses. Verse 45 to 47, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus restates, it's the scriptures that testify of him. Moses wrote about him, and they did not believe the scriptures. Go back to 1 John now. So we've seen the three witnesses of God. We saw that Jesus gave witnesses to to validate who he was, and John is going to restate witnesses here, and we stated, we stated those three, water, blood, and spirit. What does water speak of? And how is that a witness to Jesus? I use the letter B, three Bs that, that, that water can speak of. It can speak of birth. We talk about coming from uh, fluid or the water that's, that's in the birth sack and a baby coming from that can speak of birth. I don't think that's the main idea here. Baptism is another thing where water uh, pictures something, but baptism is really a picture of birth. It's the new birth that baptism is symbolizing. And another B, bathing or cleansing. Water symbolizes the cleansing that happens or the washing that we do. And so, so baptism actually pictures birth and it pictures cleansing because it pictures the new birth. And that's what water symbolizes here. Not just a bathing or a birth or cleansing. Uh, 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 uh. It, it pictures the new birth. In other words, that term we used when we started off the message, being born again. Water is a picture of that, the cleansing that happens when one is born again. Let me just share a few scriptures that point that out. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36. Turn it with me. It's on the other side of Psalms. Ezekiel chapter 36, I said, right? All right. Verse 25 through 27. You got to listen to this. Ezekiel 36, verse 25, God is saying this, God the Father says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wow. That's something. He's saying, I'm going to sprinkle water. But he doesn't mean I'm just going to sprinkle a little water on you and it's a ceremony. He's saying this water is symbolic of the new birth that I bring to change your whole spirit by giving you my spirit. What does that describe? That describes the new birth. That describes that work that God does in us that causes us to believe on Jesus, causes us now to desire to live for him and walk in obedience to him. It's not our work, it's the work that God does on us. It's the new birth. And so Jesus is saying, or John is saying of Jesus, that this is the evidence, this is a testimony of who Jesus is. The new birth that's, that's symbolized by the water shows Jesus to be who he says that he is. Ephesians 5.26 is another verse to go along with that, so let's take a look at that. Ephesians 5.26. I just picked out a few that we're going to look at. Ephesians 5, 26. When they say Ephesians 5, most of us know that because that's where the husbands love that verse, verse 22, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. We, we get to that. But here's the part in verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her 
He's talking about his church. He sanctifies her by, the clean, by having cleansed her by the washing of water. You with me? What's the rest? With the word. Washing of water with the word. In other words, this is not just a physical cleansing, a shower, or a bath. This is a cleansing that comes by God's work through his word. And it's done on his church. In other words, his people. He uses the term washing. He uses the term water. And he uses the term word. If you're a linguist, you like the W's there. Three W's. Washing the water and the word. This happens by his word. Water symbolizes the new birth that God brings about by his power through his word. Let's look at one more. Titus 3, verse 5. These are familiar verses. Titus 3, verse 5 says this. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, uh, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration means new birth. The washing of rebirth, of new birth. It's, it's the method, it's the tool, it's the thing that God uses to change our lives and to cleanse us from sin. He washes us by regeneration, by giving us a new life, by being born again. So this thing of being born again is evidence of Jesus himself. That's why you and I are, are, are some of the most powerful witnesses to the world that Jesus, not only that Jesus is alive and existed, but that his work on the cross what, what was, was accomplished what God would have it to accomplish because by me believing in that, my life is changed. You know you got folks in your family who, who don't want to come to church, but they can't deny that God has changed you, that you're a new person. You've been washed by regeneration, by new birth. Now, they know you're not perfect, but they know you're a drastic change from what you used to be. And that's because of Jesus. That's the evidence that speaks that points to Jesus, the washing that has happened in your life. And I want to tell you, every generation since Jesus, we've seen people washed by the word of God, by this regeneration, by this new birth, and we're going to continue to see that until Jesus comes. God, Jesus says, look, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. There's going to be this washing, this regeneration, this new birth, all up until the time that Jesus comes again. That's evidence of who Jesus is. All over the world, no matter what time or, or area they live in, people got up this morning and they began to worship because today is Sunday. <laughs> and it represents the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we worship and give glory to this Jesus. No other name, no other person has received that type of worship and has impacted and changed that many lives than this Jesus. And you know what? If you want to see what Jesus has done, you don't have to go very far. Just look around you right here in this building you can see the magnificent work that Jesus has done in a heart's of his people. It is evidence of who Jesus is. That's why a lot of people, they don't want to talk to you anymore when you start talking about Jesus because they can't deny the evidence. It's all over. In fact, it has, it has just inf infiltrated our whole society. We talk about the evil, but think about if you remove the impact that Jesus has had in, in, in throughout America, what it would truly be would be more like hell. Jesus, his work. So he says it's the water that symbolizes that. And he says it's also the blood. 
that gives a testimony of who Jesus is. There's another verse for that waters, Hebrews 10, 22, if you want to jot that down. But I'm going to keep on moving as we get to this, this talk about his blood. Now, that's very easy for us to understand uh, what he means by the blood. And in, in, in 1 John 5, when he says there's three that give testimony, and these three... Uh, there are, verse 7, there, there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. What does he mean by blood? Well, in chapter 1, verse 7, 1 John 1, 7, he says this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You with me? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the... Say it again. Let, let me know that you're awake. Blood. blood. The blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus. Now, it, 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 we, we, we're familiar with that picture that blood signifies death. It always does. You can't hardly see a horror movie <laughs> without seeing blood. Because we know what that means. It means hurt, damage, physical harm, death. Blood is one of those things you don't want to see. You want to know you got and you, you keep it inside, right? <laughs> but Jesus' blood was exposed. Why? Because they whipped him. They beat him. They pierced him with a spear. They pressed thorns on his head until it ran down into his scalp and blood came out. They did that until he died. Blood signifies death. And so we know that when it says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin, he, he's not being literal in terms that we take a shower or a bath in blood to, to get clean. He's picturing what Jesus did on the cross as bringing about our cleansing. He died on the cross. There's a word that he explains two times in this, and they both have to do with blood. In chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. Notice propitiation is always connected to sin. Payment for something is a payment that God accepted for our sin. And what was that payment? It was his blood. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. He says that again in chapter 4, verse 10. He says there, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here's connected again, this term propitiation is connected to the fact that a payment was made, a sacrifice was made, and that sacrifice included the blood of Jesus. And so this blood is the evidence or a picture of what, of who Jesus really is. Sing a song, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. How did he pay it? He paid it, he paid it by offering himself, his life, his blood on the cross for my sin. And so blood is the evidence of who Jesus really is and that his blood is the propitiation. It's an acceptable payment. It's something that God says, yeah, I'll accept that. Nothing else will I accept, but I will accept that. It's a testimony to who Jesus is because it's the only thing accepted by God as payment for sins of the whole world. And then it says spirit in John chapter 5. Are you still with me? All right. Good. I'm glad you're still with me. Three, three, um, three witnesses that give testimony to who Jesus is. We mentioned water. We mentioned blood. 
and then the Spirit. Verse 6, the end of verse 6, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. We know that the Spirit is an adequate witness because He speaks. <laughs> he speaks and He speaks through us and He speaks concerning Jesus, who Jesus is. He takes the truth that he has from God and about Jesus and he speaks it to us in a way that we can understand. He also takes what we have to say in our terms of our prayers and speaks that to God and in fact interprets for us. But there's a couple of things we're going to look at in John chapter 14 that the Spirit does for us that he is a witness to who Jesus is. Turn with me to John 14, and then we'll look at John 16. So when you get to John 14, let me hear you say amen. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Holy Spirit then is a witness to who Jesus is. It says it's a witness that the world cannot have, but only those who are born again have, and all those who are born again have. So he's a witness. He's a witness. Holy Spirit should be a witness in your life that sets you apart from everyone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. There should be something unique and distinct about you that others who aren't saved don't have. It's not a degree. It's not a height of intelligence. It's not any physical ability or gift. It is him empowering you to live in obedience to God. It's the Holy Spirit himself. Holy Spirit is given to every believer, and that's a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think some of the things we go through, God is saying, look, I want to make a distinction between you and everybody else, and I want the world to know that there's something that I put in you that's different than that they don't have. And I think we go through some trials like that. I think God wants to know whether it is your sickness that you have or whether it's a hardship that you may encounter, whether that's work-related or, or employment or lack of employment, uh, whatever it might be. It may, uh, but God wants you to live by his spirit so people who don't have his spirit look and say, what's holding that girl together? I, I don't get it. Well, how is that dude doing that? How is he living? How is he so faithful? How has he turned his heart to God and turned away from everything else? How is he sold out to God, all in for God, and rejecting everything else around? How does he make those kind of decisions, that kind of commitment? How does he live that kind of life? And, and, and God wants the answer to be, he has something that you don't have because it's not him. It's not her. It's me in him, me in her. It's the Holy Spirit empowering them. So the Holy Spirit has been given to every believer. He, in fact, is a witness. In John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to take what is his and make you aware of it. He won't speak in his own authority. He will speak concerning Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a witness to who Jesus really is. You know, it's the world that needs to see this witness. The world that needs to see this witness of water, which is the witness of the new birth. The witness of blood, the witness of what Jesus' death, how Jesus' death changes our whole life. 
everything that we do. Not just Sunday, although it ought to change Sunday. We don't do the things that the world used to do or that the world does on Sunday. We commit that day to Christ. But it's not just Sunday. It's every day of the week that there is something unique and distinct about us that gives witness to the world. Are you being a witness? Do you believe God's testimony that he's given to us? Have you been born again? Have, has God's work been evident in, in your life? Not your doing, but his doing. Causing you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Causing you to walk in ways that are pleasing to him. Causing you to be obedient to him. Causing you to love his people. Causing you to love him. Causing you to love the gathering together of his people. Are you trusting in Christ's death for your salvation? Christ and Christ alone. You don't need anything else. You're not depending on anything else. It is what Christ has done for you on the cross that is adequate, and God has made that clear to you. Are you trusting in that and that alone for your salvation? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? As he speaks to you, are you giving him opportunity to speak? Are you learning to listen? That's what I've learned, you know, is that listening is a skill that we have to practice. <laughs> that we have to practice. If you want to learn a new language, you have to listen to that language being spoken. You have to be able to distinguish that. You have to practice that language. If you want to learn music, you have to listen to it so you can, you, the, the, the nuances there can be, begin to grab you and to give attention, your, your ear starts to, 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 to gravitate to that. You, you hear those things. Now, same thing with the Holy Spirit. You begin to listen. You're sensitive to him, what he has to say, how he's speaking. And you know why you become sensitive? The only way you're going to be sensitive is beginning to say yes to God. Beginning to say yes to his Holy Spirit. When he tells you something, often you know, the Holy Spirit, he's not shouting. He often whispers. When you begin to say yes, you hear. You hear a little bit more. You hear a little bit more. And you begin to be sensitive to what he's saying. He begins to say, I want you to do this. I want you to, to, to go this way. And as you begin to obey, you hear more and more. Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you believing him, obeying him, and loving as he would have you to love? Are you experiencing victory over sin in your life? And is it, is it something that brings glory to God in, in a way that God wants to use to, on display for others to see and appoint to others, to give them encouragement that they can have that same kind of victory? Are you walking in victory over sin? I pray that this testimony would be obvious and evident in your life. That you seek to make it more and more clear. That others can see it and see your light and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for that which points to Jesus, the testimony about him. May we receive the testimony of Christ. May we um, acknowledge what you have done through him, through his works, through what you have said, Father, and what your word says about him. And we accept that testimony. May we display the testimony in our own lives, the testimony of the water, which is a new birth, even though it may have happened many years ago for some of us, that it should still be evident every day of our lives that we are alive because you have done a work in us, causing us to be different people. We pray, Lord, that that 
blood to be a testimony in our lives that is something that Jesus has done that changes everything about us and everything that we are and everything we desire. And your spirit will be a testimony in our lives that will be evident to anybody who spends any time with us. Your spirit leads us, guides us. Your spirit brings glory in us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you bring conviction to us about these things so that we would desire to glorify you in all that we do. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that you speak to their heart that you might do a work in them, causing them to be born again, that they would trust in Jesus. If they would just say today, if they would just open their heart to you, that work is available. You are still doing that work today. It causes them to look to Jesus. The cleansing that he provides through his blood, the Holy Spirit that he gives, the saving that he does, they would come and they would come and trust in Jesus today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.